listening to a podcast from Light FM. Unlocking the secret to better parenting. This is Growing Pains on the Light Breakfast. Today we're talking about same trauma, different cope with our resident child psychologist Katiana Azman. Katiana, first off, when it comes to the issue that we're talking about today, when it comes to traumatic events in one's childhood, whether it's a death in the family, an accident, abuse, etc., they can have harmful effects on kids' future relationships. But why is it that some siblings, even within the same abuse that they may have gone through or the same traumatic event they may have faced, some mm. siblings grow up to be more affected than, than others? I mean, there's a lot of factors. Personality can be one part of it, mm. right? So how we respond to anything that happens around us, whether it is traumatic or even good things that happen around us, all boil down to how our brain processes it or how we perceive it to be. Sort of like whenever something happens, your brain kind of does a calculation and decides whether or not it is something that is good or bad for you, mm. something that is exciting, something that's scary. So your brain will do that calculation based on its own experience with you, right? right. And then come up with a decision as to whether it's something that we can put into the positive column or the negative column. We cannot predict what the brain will decide at the end of that process, right? Because right. there are an infinite amount of factors that contribute to who we are as people, right? So right. just off the top of my head, for example, gender differences, right? Could be one part of it. So if the siblings in the same household who underwent the same trauma or experienced the same trauma could process it differently based purely on whether their gender has an influence onto that, right? Mm -hmm. um, because as we know, somehow, you know, males feel a lot less like they have the permission or they're a lot less allowed to speak about their feelings. Mm. So maybe that might have been something that impacted how it manifested. Right. We could look at birth order, whether the older children were expected to kind of set mm. an example and quote unquote toughen up versus mm. the younger ones. We could also look at whether or not these children had access to the same level of support. Right. So there's all these different factors which would influence how it affects people even within the same four walls. What are the different coping mechanisms or strategies mm. then that these siblings may implement and how it like changes like how the way they grow up like how do they then deal with this and also mm. what can they use to help cope with the changes that it brings upon them having mm. faced this type of or whatever trauma that they face. So again, it goes back to sort of how their brain has processed the event, right? Mm. So that's what they talk about within like, for example, the context of grief. They talk about how there are seven stages of grief, right? And that is just to highlight that the human brain goes through these very different, very intense emotions right. as it kind of works through the grieving process or coping with the death of a loved one. And so that whole state, that whole process of having all these different emotions, I feel that people can have them regardless of whether you're on this whole seven-step journey or not. The trauma could elicit anger in some people or some children and it could elicit sadness in other children mm. and because that's the emotion that comes out, it will then impact how they behave, right? So right. that's basically the tenet of cognitive behavior therapy or CBT that our thoughts influence emotions and our emotions therefore influence our actions. And so if a child is angry mm. as a result of it, you might see maybe a lot more aggression you might see a lot more physicality a lot more sort of like that type of behavior. If you see if the child had processed it as sadness or something you know, in that realm, you might see them be more withdrawn. You might see more tears. A lot of parents will often say that, oh, my kid was not crying, so I'm sure they're fine. Right. Look for other changes in their behavior. Look for different ways with which their temperament is presenting right. because that could give you an indication of how they're processing it. But the one thing I tell parents is that, like you've highlighted, no two kids, even in the same household with the same experience, will present the same. And so please, please, mm. please do not 
not try to compare or right. use one child's experience as a benchmark because that could have really, really negative consequences. How do we determine the effects of trauma on a child and whether or not there needs to be some sort of strategy even employed for it? Like if the child, if it seems like mm. the child is dealing well, do we assume that the child is fine or mm. should we dig deeper and be, ask more questions and like encourage the child to communicate even though they seem like they're in a good state of mm. mind? I would give them a lot of room, right? Mm. Because we, that's the difficult thing about trauma is we can never fully appreciate how one person is dealing with traumas. Mm. I, I've met some of the most resilient children where they've gone through things that make me really, really distressed as an adult mm. and they just kind of take it on their chin and just be like, you know, it is what it is, right? Mm. And the worst thing you want to do in the face of a child who is coping well is to make them think that they shouldn't, right? right? So right. I tell parents to be very cautious over how you bring up the topic itself or at least be very careful with not trying to make the child feel that a, there's something wrong with them because they're not more upset than they are mm. or B, that they should be, right? That there is something yeah. that they're missing. There is something sort of that can sometimes happen where you can, by making people talk about traumatic events over and over, mm. you make them relive it. So it's mm. like a secondary sort of like version like of trauma. Re-traumatizing. Re-traumatizing, mm. exactly. And so that is something we also want to avoid. So I would say to parents that I would give your child a lot of room, keep your eyes out, keep your ears open. If your child is starting to bring up certain things or do things that are different to their usual temperament, that's usually a sign they're working through it and you need to support them, offer yourself up in, in the role of assisting them, ask them if there's anything that they need help with, anything that you could do. If they bring it up, talk about it. If they don't, take their cue you know so i would say kind of let the child lead it right. is also very possible that I've, I've had this happen as well where kids bring up things that they somehow were okay with five years before mm. right so the mm. trauma happened five years ago and only now they're bringing it up oh interesting yeah so it is possible because maybe the child was a lot younger and couldn't fully comprehend the degree right. of the trauma or what it was at that point and then now that they're older they have the language they have the mm. awareness if they're on social media they know about they understand these concepts a lot more so it's very possible it will come and come up as a topic of conversation five years later address it in five years right oh, so i think yeah. it's about yeah making sure that you let, let your child lead do not tell them how they should process the trauma one of the things that i remember mm. hearing a lot as a child and also just hearing a lot even now as a therapist is when children have experienced the death of a loved one mm. a lot of families tell them they're not allowed to cry and i've heard a lot of kids being reprimanded for crying and they use stories about how you know you it is not good because right. the loved one that's passed yeah. is now suffering because you're crying a mm, lot of these mm. narratives right and I think that can cause children to develop a bit of an unhealthy relationship with trauma mm -hmm. in the sense that they have an unhealthy relationship with their own emotions because they're right? not allowed to feel in the entirety the emotions that they're going through yes and they're also almost kind of punishing themselves in some extent where it's seen as a sign of especially if you're saying like you are hurting the loved yeah. one that just passed on because mm, you're crying mm, yeah. which I remember hearing even as a child growing yeah, up whenever yeah. I lost a loved one and it was just you know imagine the child then feeling that you are incurring intentional hurt onto someone you care about with right. your feelings mm -hmm. and how much of a really really difficult relationship they're going to have later on with that type of emotion right mm. so yeah so I, I think that you know you should kind of let kids deal with trauma 
however they need to mm-hmm. so long as they're being safe. So if they mm-hmm. are, say, teenagers, for example, might want to resort to substances and things to not mm-hmm. think about it, to avoid it, intervene absolutely when it's right. anything to do with their safety. But when it comes to how they're emotionally processing things, give them the room to figure it out and intervene when you need to. But right. don't tell them where they should be. In, in the Asian culture, especially, there's a lot of that like, be strong or, yes. you know, don't let them be, you have to be strong for your mother or you have to be strong yes. for, you know, things like that. Yeah, you're right. Yes, yes. Another thing that we worry about when it comes to after effects of trauma and its relationship to how it affects relationships, how do we then encourage children to develop healthy relationships after dealing with that trauma? Mm. We kind of pay very close attention to what types of patterns they might be presenting when it comes to relationships. It is very common, I think we as adults could appreciate this as well, that you know when we've lost someone we care about, we might be a little bit less inclined or a little bit more anxious to attach to other people out of fear that the loss will bring itself up again. Very similar to like abandonment anxiety and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it is not uncommon that kids might want to keep to themselves. So right. again, you know, if you're noticing that it is really starting to impact them and they are not wanting to bond with people or to make friends or, you know, if you have an older child who's dating, not mm. wanting to get into relationships, these are things that you should absolutely bring up, right? And these right. are things that you should help them work through mm-hmm. because a lot of their fears are, of course, valid, but they're also distortions which means that the belief system that everybody leaves and mm, that mm. you'll always be alone, whatever narrative right. they might be holding on to is obviously not real or mm-hmm. not true or not accurate, but it is something that they believe because they have just suffered a significant loss. So kind of guide them through that, talk it out with them, help them kind of see a different perspective, which comes from, of course, you, and then kind of take it from there. But it is it is 100% normal. So to anyone who might be concerned that their child is not their usual happy-go-lucky, super friendly, jovial self it is absolutely normal a reaction so long as it's within a certain acceptable time frame and the child is still able to kind of feed themselves go to school do the basics day Mm. to day but yeah it can impact their relationships just got to keep an eye out for how when it comes to healing from Mm. trauma it seems like an asian thing in many cases to try to keep Mm. trauma Away from yes, yes, in house, Mm. just with Mm. the family. Don't let anyone else know. Don't Mm. air your dirty laundry to anyone else, Mm -hmm. right? Is that really the most healthy way to deal with it and and cope with trauma? At what point then do we bring it to external help? Is do we need a point in order to Mm. to then seek external help for it? I think you know this whole like don't air your dirty laundry thing. I find really difficult because it has it has been the thing that has kept mental health back in Mm. this country. But I think that when you're going through sort of like shared trauma of course there is a lot of sense of support and community that comes with keeping things in house because all the people that you live with are people who have gone through the same thing they knew the person that passed or, or they'd gone through the trauma with you so there is that sense of connection and community and, and support that comes from that so absolutely if it is an option if you have people in your life who can be supportive then absolutely you know kind of keep them around right. but there is a point where sometimes it might feel a little little bit restricting Mm. because you might feel compelled to conform to the feelings in the room right so if you have say older family members who do not want to discuss it 
Hmm. Right? It's one they're one of those out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You know, in, in Bahasa they say da jadi da jadi lah. Yeah. You know, they kind of like don't want to talk about it. Then that means that you are constrained to not talking about it. Hmm. On the flip side, there might be kids who are handling it well, but they have family members who are really, really struggling. Right. And they have this trauma brought up at every turn. Hmm. Sometimes I think that and, and I tell this to all of my kids, whether it's trauma or not trauma related. When you are in your family and with your with the people that you that you grew up with, the perspectives right. are roughly similar. So when you are trying to think of a way out of this current mindset, if you only have access to perspectives that are roughly the same as what you're saying to yourself already, yep. then you're not gonna find a different perspective right. that pulls you out of it, right? Yeah. So that is where I think speaking to an external party, preferably someone trained and not just a random person. Like I have a lot of kids now who talk to ChatGPT. Oh, because, is that a yeah, thing now? It's a thing now. A wow. lot of my teenagers talk to ChatGPT because ChatGPT oh. is extremely eloquent and extremely wise. Yes. But of, Seemingly but of course, so. Seemingly so, frighteningly yeah. so. But it's obviously not a trained psychologist or a human mm. being who can mm. understand those nuances. So speaking to someone external does have that benefit. And plus, there is zero consequences that come from talking to a therapist because I am yeah. not going to get mad at you. I am not going to impose my opinions right. on you. Or worrying about whether... Because I remember going through this when my grandma passed and mm. I felt... I was I was already training as to be a psychologist at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember just wanting to talk about it to family members and being very keenly aware that it might cause them hurt it might make them right. uncomfortable even within that context mm. you might feel like I can't be 100% open because I don't want to upset somebody else mm. and that's going to take away from your grieving process if that's what you're going through mm. so I think that there is a point where speaking to an external party is very very helpful mm-hmm. but I would say to people if you have individuals or if you have a community that have gone through it that can support you in your home then absolutely rely on them right Right. But if you need to, the, the help is there on the outside. Always realize that there's an option. Don't yes. shut it off. There's always that option. Keep it open in case you might need it. And also be aware enough for the needs and the wants of, of the kids or the children to be able mm. to know that there's a point where, you mm. know what, maybe I need someone else other than me. Because maybe sometimes there may even be a little bit of shame when it comes to a parent thinking that, oh, I'm not good enough to be able to help my mm. kids get through this. It's yep. There is no shame. There is no shame. Yep, there isn't. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.